0: Welcome to Series 7 Episode 2 with Super Alan Fettis. Alan signed for York City towards the end of the 2000-2001 season and played a significant part in helping the club stay up and performed similar heroics during the next two campaigns where he picked up the Clubman of the Year award in both seasons. Alan was a full Northern Ireland international who was capped 25 times by his country and played in the Premier League for both Nottingham Forest and Blackburn Rovers. This podcast is proudly sponsored by York City's club historian and author, Paul Bowser, whose new book, Bootham Crescent, A Second Home, 1960-1993, is now available. Contact Paul via email on minstermanbooks at outlook.com. Dot com. Minstermanbooks at outlook.com for more details. <music> Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a registered charity that relies on donations. If you enjoy these podcasts, then please consider donating via our JustGiving page, which is JustGiving.com/York. Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com slash your hospital radio.
1: Okay, Alan, great to speak to you, and, and of course, lo- lots of York city to discuss. But first of all, what, what made you want to become a goalkeeper?
2: Actually, I didn't like Russ in his podcast. I think every goalkeeper has this urge that they want to be outfield players. But there comes a point when you know you're not good enough. So you go and goal. But um it was primary school. I think I was an outfield player, but I also went in goal when I was playing with my mates and things like that. And we knew for the next day, the school game, we were going to be short of a goalkeeper. So I, I said, Look, I'll do it, I'll jump in goals, no problem. Oh, yeah, I'll be great. Yeah, great. Anyway. And I quite enjoyed it, it was good, but I still wanted to be an outfield player. So I continued to play outfield, go and goal, and then it sort of became more and more where you go and goal because you're quite good at it, apparently. And I, But I still wanted to play outfield and I still played outfield on the streets with your mates and things like that. And it was only really, I think I was about 14, every summer Northern Ireland just to have these camps one year I'd be up at Coleray and the next year would be in Belfast I remember walking out at Coleray and I was under 14 and I spoke to the coach and I said look I, I play outfield as well I'm not just a goalkeeper you know would you let me play outfield and he's like yeah okay we- we'll-, we'll swap you around so I played on goal and did okay and, and he says okay swap the goalkeeper Alan you come and play outfield and I was playing midfield and I was up against Neil Lennon and at that point I realised I think you're going to be a goalkeeper because <laughs> I was so far away from him nowhere near him I couldn't get near him he's passing a ball right. he was just so much better than me and I thought yeah I think it's time to choose goals
1: I think I read that Pat Jennings was a bit of an influence of you was he growing up?
2: Yeah Pat Jennings was always, always an influence for anybody in Northern Ireland whether you were a goalkeeper or not Pat Jennings was just a hero and I met Pat Jennings because he became part of the coaching staff Northern Ireland back in the 90s and people always say never meet your heroes you'll be disappointed but I, I so wasn't he was just exactly what you thought he was going so to be such a good gentleman very honest with you just a really really nice person and to go with that he was an incredible goalkeeper as well so watching from the stands watching Northern Ireland play watching Spurs and Arsenal and you know, all the games that he's played for them he was just incredible an unbelievable goalkeeper for Northern Ireland or Northern Ireland more so than his club days although he was pretty special there as well but playing for Northern Ireland the 82 86 World Cups, you know, everybody wanted to be. You started to get more people wanting to be goalkeepers in Northern Ireland
1: there. Bit before my time, but wasn't he the oldest player to play in goal at a World Cup in eighty six, is that right? Was he
2: forty or forty two or something? Read,
1: yeah. Something like yeah, yeah. And and you started your career at Glen Torren as a youth player, and but first sort of really made your name for yourself at, at Ards And and when I was doing my research, I read about this incredible game that you had against Porter Down, where they were sort of going for the title and you had a sort of one-man mission, I think, to stop them from, from <laughs> winning it. I I just wonder whether you remember that game and was it that sort of performance that sort of got you noticed by clubs in England
2: probably I remember at Glen Torren I remember there was a couple of clubs interested I was only 16 at the time and I was part of the Northern Ireland schoolboys. there was a few clubs interested at the time and my dad just went you're signing for Glen Torren now coming from a Linfield fan I found it a bit strange but he said, no, you're saying for Glen Torn. I was like, OK, we'll say for Glen Torn. So he, he was a big part of that. And that was great. I was like, that was a brilliant club. I had a great time. It was my first sort of feeling of in Northern Ireland. It was a big club. And they were a very successful team as well. They won the Irish Cup, I think, five years or six years on the on the, on the road. Linfey were winning the league. They were winning the Irish Cup. And they had some wonderful players. I remember watching them play Juventus you know, in Cup Winners Cup or whatever it was. It's a good club, big club in, in Belfast. I played a, a year there and then left. Um, and Jimmy Todd... I got off the bus coming from school and Jimmy Todd picked me up from the bus and made me sign for arts in his car at the, the top of the road so I signed for Ards and I had a couple of seasons there and it was, I was in the reserves and I was part of the first team and just in and out just getting. And then, and then I made my debut against Cliftonville. I think we drew two each I can't really remember to be honest and then I, I was still young I played a couple of games other goalkeepers managers changed came in with the older goalkeepers but I just hung in there and, and eventually I, I started to become number one and there was clubs from England coming to watch me and, and I, I just started getting better you know you play more games you start getting a bit more confident you start to understand what the game is. Training was it was very old school. I'm not saying it's wrong school. I say that a lot as my coaching, but it was the coaches to get you and just beast you in the corner of the pitch, you know. We trained at Castle Ray Park. We had to put the lights on off the stadium. There was one stand shining across to the park and then a guy would come out of his shed and like an outside light we must have got from his house or I don't know, it was like a headlight from an old car or something, either one of those, and that's what we trained. It's not like it is today where there's got like, you know, desol pitches for, you know, under 11s and things. That's how it was. And that game in particular, I was reminded of that because we had one of our our lads on loan, Jacob Carney, on loan at Portadown. So I I went to watch him a few months back and this guy he worked for Porter Down sat at the back of the stand and he says can you remember that game back in 1991 or 1990 I go, can you remember what it was huh? I went yeah I do yeah and he goes you were incredible he says, you nearly lost us the league I, I said I mean what are you talking about he said mean, I can remember and he showed me some clips on his phone I went My goodness, that was the first I'd seen it back. I thought, yeah, we've made some saves. I didn't realise I'd played that well. You know, know, I've made a few saves and I did okay. Because I always remember the goal that they scored in the 90th minute or 94th minute. And it was a corner. And I remember Tommy Lehman went, that's. Just come for this corner, come and catch it. Now, we'll, you know, we'll be finished. And I'm right, okay. And I came and I missed it. I got nowhere near it. And they scored from it. I was, I was devastated because it, it just killed everything that you'd done. And that just one lapse of concentration just for me ruined everything. But still, people still talk about it, poured it down, which is. Which is very nice I suppose
1: I was reading it I think it was in the Belfast Telegraph I think it was like an archive article and it, it just reminded me of some of your performances for York City later on which uh, we'll come on to I mean 1991 was a real sort of breakthrough year for you wasn't it and uh, you know Hull paid £50,000 to sign you but you also made your debut for, for your country away to Denmark in a European qualifier I mean how, how proud were you to play for your country
2: Oh immensely I'm without saying playing for your country it's an incredible feeling because it was only a few months previous to that I'm sure lots of people have said this the same story but that you're standing watching Northern Ireland play thinking that'd oh, be great to play for Northern Ireland and you know we're not the biggest country in the world but it's your country you know yeah. and to watch Pat Jennings grow up and play there and all the greats that have played for Northern Ireland and dream of wanting to play you know at Windsor Park for Northern Ireland and put that badge on and I'd had a little taste of it with the schoolboys and 17s and things like that but the international the full international is, is what everybody in Northern Ireland Wants, wants to do. It was fantastic to play. I mean, my first cap was against Denmark in Odense against Peter Schmeichel. And at that time, we got one shirt. You didn't get two shirts or a multitude of shirts. You got one shirt, but it was Peter Schmeichel. I thought, Peter can we swap shirts? He went, yeah, no problem. And I thought, this is my first international shirt and I've swapped it, you know. So I've got Peter Schmeichel's shirt anyway, but that's, so that I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. That was my first cap. We lost 2-1. Fleming Poulsen scored two. I did okay. I wasn't brilliant, but I did okay. Um, that was my first cap. It was lovely to have. It was great. I don't remember a great deal about it. I remember some of it. I remember not playing particularly well. Did okay. Made a couple of saves and whatever, but we lost the game, which was, which was disappointing. So we, but we just were to play for Northern Ireland. Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. I was was one of those players who I always got nervous before a game, no matter what game. I, I got to the point where I didn't like not having that little bit of apprehension and not knowing what's going to happen. I didn't like that because I sort of I wanted that. I wanted to you know make sure that I was just living on edge a little bit
1: What's sort of part of your routine because I think Russ Ru said you were quite meticulous in your in your prep And was that part of it almost being nervous
2: yeah it probably was yeah I was I went through stages in my career I ended up being so superstitious about everything it, it took over basically everything that I did my, my week's training how I lived my life you know just Stupid little things like, you know, I'd have to have a banana before I went to bed on a Friday night or, or a bar of chocolate. And then it was like a bar of chocolate as well. And then it was two bars of chocolate and, and a banana. And it was all, there was loads of things going on. So it's, I think lots of players are like that. They, if they play well, they'll do the same routine. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I was quite meticulous with the training. I found that eventually, as you, as you go through your career, you find what works for you and you find what doesn't work for you and you try and discard that. But the more things you try, you end up whittling it down to, I like this, this works for me. I'll just do this. And I just dragged Russ along with me, which was great. So I think he was quite happy to
1: do it. So <laughs> Just going back slightly to the Denmark thing, I mean, they didn't qualify from that group, but they ended up getting in through the back door, didn't they, to the Euros and ended up winning it. So you, your first cap was against the future European European champions.
2: That's right. It was it the Yugoslav War at the time? So I thought, yeah. So, yeah, that was the start of, I suppose. I mean, that was, I made my, my league debut, I think a month before, called up and, and then never played and then got called up and, and played. And it was at that time, funny enough, we were talking about it the other day. My wife and I, she was my girlfriend then, she came across from Belfast and we were living in digs, I suppose, and with this family. We were living in a loft, up a ladder into a loft. There's no heating and a blow up bed and I was an international footballer. I was there until until December, so we could afford to actually move out and manage to rent
1: a place. It runs nicely into the next question actually. I'd put that that you know, you were about 20 years old when you'd signed for Hull. And was it difficult moving away from home? And I, I put I presume you moved on your own, but obviously you didn't. But was it difficult for you at that age and going into a, a club that obviously had a lot bigger attendances, I imagine, than, than than ours did, and a dressing room probably full of quite senior pros? Not
2: really. I was quite excited about it. It wasn't a big wrench for me to leave, it was what you always wanted to do. I'd been on a lot of Trials. What I'm with it with the whole thing. I'd been on a load of trials from 15. i have been across. I've had the Halifax, Everton, and Watford, West Bromwich Albion, and nothing ever happened. And I, I I got a bit disheartened with it all. And I was always quite immature. I was a late developer, and, and I started to work. And I was in the civil service. And I was playing for arts. My father said stupidly, I signed pro, but I signed pro, and the money was okay At that time. I was an 18 year old boy, 19 year old boy, and then 20. But it was good, and I was doing okay, you know. So I was quite happy. But I played against a and I saved a penalty and Bernard Ellison was at the game and he says I'd like you to come across on a trial to hope I want you to come for a week I went I don't want to do it anymore I I don't want to go on trial look if you want to sign me great if you don't I just sort of lost heart going. I didn't want to get disappointed again I was a bit older then I'd I'd been through all that anyway we said look will you come for three days it was myself and another uh, Andy Smith went across centre half and I I did okay and they offered me a contract said we'll give you a two year contract I went right okay I'll take it and Andy's like well let me have a think about it I'm not sure they offered him exactly the same thing he didn't take it he stayed he he went and had a good career in the Irish League but I went right I'll take it and I was on I can't remember what it was I think it was about 150 quid a week or something £170 it wasn't a great deal. that was 1991 so it wasn't wasn't too bad but yeah so that was and I, I thought right I've got two years we'll see how it goes if it doesn't work out nothing ventured nothing gained and Unfortunately, it worked out and it was okay. But that's that's pretty much how it, it nearly didn't happen.
1: And you, you're sort of uh, in a unique group of goal-scoring kick goalkeepers, aren't you? But yours wasn't a kind of goal kick that got caught with the wind or anything or going up late for a corner. Yours was against Oxford, who were up near the top. And I'm sure you've told this story so many times before, so I apologise. But you were, I think, coming back from injury, you were on the bench as a sub-goalkeeper, then they decided to throw you on as an outfield player. Terry Dolan's a tactical genius, but I think you thought it was a wind-up, didn't you, to start with?
2: I did. I mean, Terry knows his players, I'll, I'll give him that. It was a funny situation. I damaged my thumb and I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go and goal or, or anything, but I was able to train, so I was running around and, and playing outfield and keeping the fitness up. I'm doing a little bit. Steve Wilson was a goalkeeper. He was, he was an excellent goalkeeper as well. So I was helping him out, getting the keep and making sure he was okay for the team. On the day, I was warming Steve up and Neil Allison came across and he went, the oh, manager says you you're on the bench outfield because he was a piss taker oh he's taking a piss And I was doing some crossing for a Willow and I carried on I said no, honestly it, it, you've got to go in I went I'll be in the minute just do this warm up right okay and I went in and the manager went right, I want you to put number 12 on because Brownie's struggling with his back so you might have to come on I'm like yeah right if it happens it happens it's never going to happen anyway so why bother yourself Well, you thinking it, you
1: know, I'm, I'm not against Neil Lennon in the field, <laughs> so I'll, I'll give it a crack. they
2: were top of the league it was 2-1 we were winning 2-1 and we were getting battered we were getting absolutely pumped and anyway, I came on with I think it was uh, 13 minutes or something. Manager says, Fitz, get yourself warmed up. And I see take the piss here. Like, so anyway, I ran up and down the pitch a couple of times. <laughs> he went, right, Fitz, Brownie's struggling to come on. Okay, then I said, What do you want me to do, boss? Just run up and down and make a nuisance of yourself. Got that, can do that, not a problem. So that was that was it. And I'm I I, chased him, I was doing my head in goal. I chased him down on a, on a back pass and ran back up to the halfway there. halfway am thinking, ah, now I remember why I stayed in goal and went and goal. This is hard this work, this. And then a few minutes later, there's a ball down in the wing. Craig Lawford knocked it in. It was Matty Elliott who was marking me. So I just ghosted in behind him. And as the balls come across, the goal's in front of me. And I actually, I, I kid you not, I've, I've said this a million times, I actually aimed to go in that corner and it came off my heel and went to that corner, the top corner and it just looked great but it wasn't actually what I meant but I suppose true stragglers will never say that that's
1: what I meant but that's obviously know, what, that was was... Fe- what was the feeling like? I mean it must be obviously totally different to keeping a clean sheet I imagine and what did you do in celebration? Can you remember like how you were feeling? Well
2: disbelief really and as my momentum took me sort of that way and I remember going well there's nobody over there. There's no fans over there towards the Kenton side. So I turned and I thought, well, I'll go towards the fans. <laughs> so I went there and then ran across there. and Then I got involved by the lads and the fans were on the pitch and everything. So it was it's a good moment. It was a great moment. Obviously, people like to talk about it. I was wearing whole yesterday. People still want to talk about it. You know. So it's one of those things. And incredibly,
1: you did it again, didn't you, on the last day of the season versus Blackpool? And you know, so it's not like it was a, a one one goal wonder or anything. And I, I really liked the quote that I read that, that you'd said about it. You said, "I only had one." Kicking the whole game, and I scored with it.
2: <laughs> I was hopeless. Played the whole game. I was I was dreadful. I was offside about fifteen times. Sam Allardyce was manager of Blackpool at the time and Phil Brown was was in the back four and they had this I, I couldn't work it out I was trying to work out the signal that they had to play offside for different things you know And I I, I couldn't work it out and it, and it was offside so many times but the goal came for it was a, it was basically the last kick of the season I kept looking up with the clock going must be half time right and it was 20 minutes gone I'm, freaking, I'm never going to see the end of this game I kept looking over to the bench and the manager was it was not taking me off I, it, there was just nobody warming up the, the problem was we had a small squad and we with a lot of injuries and we basically went down to bare bones you know? and that was the reason why I played believe you me it wasn't because I was any good in training there nobody else and it was just a cross to the far post Matty Lund challenged the goalkeeper and the ball just dropped you just couldn't believe it I mean six yards out in the middle of the goal and the centre half dropped off to the line I thought is this really happening <laughs> just, and I just, I just leathered it as hard as I could uh, and it went in and and that was it. That was a uh, call cool as well,
1: which is... Was... Sam Allardyce's defence, isn't it? was sort of known for a strong back line and, you, and you've sc- scored against it. I mean, it, there, were, there were testing times, weren't there, for Hull, I think, off the pitch, you know, financial issues. And I think you were the last sort of money that Hull City had paid for a player for a number of years. I mean, did that sort of make you quite close-knit as a group of
2: players? It did. It definitely did. There was no big earners. There was no... Egotistical players, they were just good, honest players who, who just worked hard every day. And I think having a small squad, you do get closer and you would have a night out and, and you would do things together, and it did help. It definitely helped. And like I said, nobody was earning big money. There was there was a couple who were earn, obviously earning more than ever, but there was no big somebody pushing the budget out, and there was none of that. We all drove rubbish cars, second-hand cars and stuff. If anybody came in with a new car, it was like, whoa, where'd you get that? you know you must be on some money so it was, there was none of that and it was it was a great group I think that's something that, that Terry Dolan and I thought did really well looking back on the Hull City period and the York City period I think he was very good at identifying players and building teams just a shame probably at both clubs where the money ran out and it seemed at York City where the money ran out as well and just as it was as he was starting to get things together you know he brought Dean Windus back into Hull sold him for hundreds of thousands of pounds so he, he, he could do that and it, was, it was Graham Atkinson Gary Hobson these players were making the the club a lot of money at the time and he was was good at identifying players and and getting them in the team and giving players, being strong enough to give Certainly, somebody like myself, the opportunity to come and and play,
1: and the opportunity to play up front as well, <laughs> when, when the <they're> shot. <laughs> I mean, was it hard at times to play? Because Hull City have always been a really well-supported club, haven't they? You know, even back then when they were, weren't doing particularly well, was it almost difficult to play in front of at times? You know, because I imagine it was a bit of a toxic sort of atmosphere with the ownership and the things going on off the pitch.
2: Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, there was times we were getting paid from the turnstiles you know, you're getting your wages in brown envelopes and, and getting them handed to you. So it was difficult, yeah. But I think it was only difficult if you let if you let it be difficult for you, you know. It, I think it's a, as a footballer, as long as you, you're getting paid and you're playing, I think stuff like that, I don't really think you, you can do much about it. It's All you can do is go out and play and, and if, mm-hmm. if you play well, you stay in the team and if you do really well, somebody might come on by and, and take you and I think a club like Hull would be quite happy to do that, you know. I would say it was, it was easy. I mean, certainly when I left, it got a bit harder certainly when, when Warren Joyce took over it became pretty tough and they were locking the gates and things like that we didn't quite get to that to that stage but anyway, I suppose it was pretty hard for the club at the time and pretty hard for the supporters
1: to take On a more positive note I mean you were really racking up the caps for Northern Ireland weren't you around that sort of mid-90s period and, and there were some of the games that I looked at that you played in that, that I imagine would have been probably career highlights I mean a one-all draw away to Republic of Ireland same score as well to, to Portugal away in a qualifier and a one-all draw with Germany Windsor Park seemed like it had a fantastic atmosphere from the sort of YouTube clip that I watched and you playing against you know like Sofigo Klinsman Rui Costa it must have been a real positive period in your your career from a personal point of view
2: it certainly was yeah I remember certainly those three games that you mentioned the Republic of Ireland game was amazing atmosphere there wasn't very many Northern Ireland fans I think it was really only family that were allowed in at the time for, for obvious reasons that was a brilliant game the atmosphere was incredible it really was it was noisy just everything you wanted from a, a football game you can imagine what a, a Manchester derby would be like or it was just a, it was fun, fabulous um, to, to get to draw we were actually went behind 1-0 Now Quinn scored it was Ian Dowie I think scored, scored the yeah wonderful game and, and we, we, we did pretty well the Portugal game for me stood out as, as, as performance wise as probably one of the one of the best of, of my career still think I should have probably got the goal but it, it was just one of those games where everything goes well for you. you, make some really good saves. You come for your crosses. It was just a, goes right for you, you know. On on the night, mm. that was an incredible, incredible experience. That was that was a wonderful game, wonderful performance, and one probably one of the best games I, I've
1: had in my performance, or certainly stands out in my mind as as one of the standout games. Because the, the Germany one as well. I think they missed two penalties, didn't they? You, d- you didn't save them, but
2: we don't go down that road now. What we say is <laughs> Klinsmann and was it or I, I think was it, was it Mo- or Andy Muller, Muller. Muller mm. They missed. Penalties. It doesn't matter in conversation, you know. Over a few pints. Yeah, they did. It was it was pre Euro '96, and I'll be honest with you, they they never really got out of third gear. It was a great result, and we won one 0 up. George Boyd scored, but they never really pushed it too far. Like still, a fabulous game, you know.
1: And another one where you've you've sort of played against the future Euro winners, weren't they? They won it that that year. That's right, yes. Yeah. Good omen for these these countries. I mean you signed for Nottingham Forest for two hundred and fifty thousand pounds in January nineteen ninety six after a loan spell at West Brom and obviously we're hulling such financial difficulty, I guess you were always gonna move on. Was it your ambition always to sort of try get to play at the highest level possible, you know, in the Premier League?
2: Yeah, it was. Just to get that opportunity. I didn't know if I was gonna be good enough to play in the Premier League, but I just wanted that opportunity to see if it was and it Came in an opportunity, but it was it was always going to be as a number two. I was signed as a number two to to Mark Crossley. Tommy Wright was there, funnily enough. Tommy unfortunately always seemed to get pretty serious injuries or long term injuries or injuries that kept him out for a, a, a long period of time. Which is unfortunate because he was a, a, a wonderful goalkeeper and did so much for me at Northern Ireland. Just watching him how he trained it, because at Hull we didn't really have a goalkeeping coach. I think Rod Arnold came in once a month or something. So it's basically me and Steve Wilson doing it. So anytime I went away with Northern Ireland, he was at Newcastle. He would come in with all these different exercises and things to do. So I'd take them all back and we'd do them. You know, So just watching him and him taking the sessions at Northern Ireland, because he didn't have a goalkeeping coach at Northern Ireland either. So things have moved on now. So he was really important for me. So it was always going to be a number two at Nottingham Forest. But I just wanted that chance, you know, to to see if I was good enough. So I played a few games, I didn't play many, and I thought I did okay.
1: I think you played the last four games of the following season. I think you made your debut at Ellen Road against Leeds, and I think you seemed to do okay in the the first three games, and I think you played. Newcastle on the last day of the season, and the team were 4 0 down at half time. It looks at like the, the scorers that day Alan Shearer, Lesford, and Festino Aspria So they're not a bad forward line either to face, but Forest were bottom of the table, weren't I mean, I, I wondered whether that was a, a good spell in your career or a tough spell. It, it sounds like you learned quite a lot from that spell at Nottingham Forest.
2: Can't say I, I flourished there, I have to say. I didn't enjoy it as, as as much as what I thought. The training was different to what I was used to. It was still quite the cluffy way. They didn't do an awful lot of training. It was all about the game games, and it was, it was still that way. But they had good players as well, you know, so they didn't need to do, they knew how to train, they knew what they had needed to do, and obviously Stuart Pierce was there, Stuart Pierce became the manager during my time there as well. It was just a different training way, different training methods, different to what I was used to, I couldn't quite get my head around it, and when I played in the reserves, I didn't play particularly well, and it didn't settle into the, the environment as well as what I would have wanted to do. And then the managers changed, I think Frank Clark left. Pearcey took over and Piercy left him uh, Harry Bassett came in and he made different changes so I knew it wasn't going to work so I was probably then looking to, to get another way out to go and play football somewhere else and fortunately enough Blackburn needed a goalkeeper and a similar sort of situation John Fyland was playing I think Tim Flowers got injured John Fyland was playing then he got injured Against Sheffield Wednesday, and I got a phone call to say that they were interested. They were coming to watch me. I playing a reserve game, I think, at Aston Villa, and I did okay. And then they did a deal, and I went up to Blackburn.
1: Yeah, and I think I read somewhere that you said that Blackburn was probably the best club of your career. Why was that? What What was it about Blackburn that, that you really liked?
2: I loved the training. It was exactly what I wanted. It was it was hard. It was it was intense. There was loads of volume to it. It was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I thought Tim Flowers, it was incredible. Incredible goalkeeper, incredible work ethic, and I thought I trained hard. I thought I wasn't a bad goalkeeper. The first week I'm watching him thinking, I am so far away from this, it's untrue. And it was great to see, because when I was at Forest, Mark Cross, was fabulous goalkeeper, don't get me wrong, incredible goalkeeper, but wasn't the best trainer in the world, naturally talented, and used that. Did, en- did enough what he had to do in training to him through games he played most of the games and that was his training but Tim was just like a machine and he was so good he was an incredible goalkeeper and, and a great guy as well so that made me think oh I need to get better because he's going to be expecting me to serve balls that, that he wants and I've got to get better and I did and I think if it had been the other way around if it had went to Blackburn first and then Forest I think my career would have been slightly different but it is what it is and being there at Blackburn I thought the training was fantastic I thought Roy Hodgson was, was an incredible manager he's so Structure, I think, and I've said this before, where you often find managers are either man managers or really good coaches. Very few that can do both. And I thought he did that really well. He, he seemed to manage players really well. He's a good coach. He took all the training. He was very good. It was unfortunate we had a period where, you know, we didn't do so well and he, and he, he lost his job. And then Brian Kidd came in. First two games of Brian Kidd's reign, I played two clean sheets, thinking, here we go. This, this is my chance. And then never played again.
1: That's <laughs> really interesting because that's exactly what I've got written down here that I found this website. Way, where you can see literally every time that you've played, like when you've been on the bench, when you've not been in the squad. And those two games were there for Charlton and someone else, wasn't it? That they were 1 0 and 0 0. I think it might have been the uh, Newcastle, actually, the team that beat you 5 0 for Forest. And I, I couldn't understand why that was. And I was going to ask you, you know, was it was it that you were injured or obviously you weren't? So did, did you start becoming quite disillusioned then after that? Once, once you, you played, obviously, you know, you'd done all you can as a goalkeeper, keep a clean sheet and, in two games and then not had the opportunity again?
2: I wouldn't say disillusioned. No. I disappointed, yes. Uh, I remember Brian taking me to the side and said, "Look, well, you've done really well. you two clean sheets, but I'm going to play John. It was John Fyland. I'm going to play John. And I was like, all right, okay. He said, but no, you keep, keep working on You've done great. I'm really pleased with you. I'm like, okay. So what, what can you do? You're disappointed. But I wouldn't be to the point where I would let it affect my training at the time. I certainly wouldn't do it to John. He needed me there to support him he supported me so why should it be any different and the, and the other goalkeepers as well of course so that was okay and I, I, I thought Brown Kidd was a fantastic trainer it, it, some of his training methods and practices were fantastic I loved it. It, it I used to really love training it was the games that I found pretty difficult training was, was brilliant I really enjoyed it and obviously he lost his job as well and Tony Parks came I think the last six months the disappointment then just faded and then it, just, it was disillusionment. I, I probably put it down to I, I lost my head a little bit and I probably said a few things in the press when I left that I, I regret because Blackburn were good to me and I really I really enjoyed it And but it was just those last six months when I went from being number one and playing in two clean sheets and thinking oh I've got a chance here to not really doing anything wrong and then ending up fourth choice because then uh, Tim Friart had left, John was number one, Alan Kelly came in, then Max came in and I ended up fourth choice I'm like well how's that happened? I haven't done anything wrong and then that's when I started my head went and that's when I just I'd, I'd had enough and I think at that point I just wanted to play football again I'd just needed to get away and just play football I didn't care where had a couple of offers from, from other places I didn't care where and then Terry rang me and, and said would you like to come to York I think they were bottom of the league and I think well i was playing Premier League not so long ago and now I'm going to the bottom of league too I didn't care I just wanted to play
1: football Yeah the club were in free fall really I mean they, they were sort of massively in danger dropping out the football league one winning 15 games eight points from 45 got it written down here but it almost felt like despite all that it maybe was the perfect move wasn't it you know you were helping out an old manager who you obviously did well for at Hull City and, and, and you in, indeed were getting some game time that you, that you kind of missed out on so would you have signed for York if it had not been for Terry?
2: Probably not, no if it have been a miser I didn't know I probably probably wouldn't I owe a lot to, to Terry Dolan for taking a chance on me 20 you know a very naive kid really coming across to, to England he, again he gave me another opportunity to I suppose resurrect my career a little bit I probably wouldn't have no but I'm glad I did
1: I, I remember being at your debut at Peterborough at London Road and, and we lost 2-0 and I, I remember on the train on the way home just thinking we are getting relegated you know it was, you, know, you didn't have a chance for either of the goals but it, it was just such a, a sort of performance and it didn't, it felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel but I mean you kept 8 clean sheets in 13 and, and really marshaled that defence because a couple of young lads I went to Mark Bowery we got on loan from Bradford and Peter. Hawkins from Wimbledon and Peter Swan was the old head in there, wasn't he? But did you start to sort of enjoy your football again? Because it was a really good end to the season that for York City. I mean, we were really, really difficult to beat.
2: It was. Uh, I didn't enjoy the first game. I've never enjoyed playing at London Road ever. I've never had a good game there. So the first game, I remember going, Oh, no, it's Peterborough. Oh, God, I've got to go there. Right, just concentrate. Just we lost 2 0. I thought, Oh, well, I always lose here. So I enjoyed that period. I have to say, I really enjoyed that run of games because I hadn't played for a while. And just getting that run of games just felt really good. And then when you keep keeping clean sheets and you can see things that are confidence growing and I can't remember where we finished, but we went from bottom to fourteenth or something like that, or where we finished. And to keep eight clean sheets in and, and that amount of games was well it was it was a good feeling. It was a good feeling at the time. And, and I think it, it got me a bit of recognition because at the end of that, because my contract was only short term until the end of end of that season. I got me a bit of I sort of raised my profile again a little bit, got me a bit of recognition and on my phone. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was ringing off the hook, but I had a few phone calls about what was happening. You know, at the end of the season, there was one offer I think it turned down. There was one another club who said, "Can you hang off till tomorrow? The manager's going to ring you tomorrow." And it was a it was a it was a big club, and I thought I went right. Okay, so Terry rang me at this and said, "Look, and are you going to sign for me? What what you, what you do? I said, "Look, Terry, can you just give me till tomorrow? I promise you tomorrow I'll give you an answer." And to be fair, he went not a problem. I'll just let me know tomorrow because I had to be fair on him as well and the club. And they never rang back. So Terry said, "I said, look, they haven't rang. coming in to sign." So I went in. We agreed. Everything got signed. Got a done. and dusted. And that club rang two weeks later to say, "No, we're going down another route." So I went, "Well, I signed for York two weeks ago. So you're not exactly on the ball, are you?" Like so. That was that was great. And I'm I'm so pleased that it was a really brilliant period of my life. Not just not just my
1: career. Because the, the, the York City fans, you know, took to you pretty much straight away, didn't they? And I'm pretty sure they were singing your name almost within like your second or third game at Booth and Crescent and was that an influence on your staying as as well as sort of Terry?
2: Of course, I mean, you don't really want to be going out and the fans booing you, I've had that before but that's that's an uncomfortable situation to be in but no, it was great, it's nice that the fans appreciate the work that you do during the week and just want to play well on the Saturday for the club and, obviously for, for your teammates but I think it's, it's it's more important for the fans that you play well that's their release at the end of the hard week of what they've done and going to watch the team and at least if they see the players putting it in if they get beat But if they see the players working hard and giving everything they've got then they, they can accept that
1: Speaking of working hard I mean you, there was a pre-season game that you played in that you, you worked particularly hard it was against your current employers Manchester United I mean I wonder what your memories were of that game because Man United literally sent a full strength side didn't they and it could have been a cricket score had it not been for your saves in goal I mean is that almost a perfect game for you as a goalkeeper that you know there's no league points riding on it and you know you're going to get a, a sort of busy afternoon to make saves
2: I knew it was going to be a busy afternoon we, we were at Keele that week and I think Terry had said we'd finished on the Wednesday and Terry had said look you could go and have a couple of beers as a team just, just as a bit of a release after the week so I remember Steve had you going I'm not going, I've got Man United on Saturday so I've got to be chasing Roy Keane all around the park. So we went and had a couple of beers and, and we, we was talking about the game and my United coming up and we were just thinking, well, what score do you think is going to be? Well, who knows, you know, anyway. So anyway, we, we, we played United on the Saturday. I, I can remember it was, it was Red Hot's the fans were all over the place it was, it was a great day brilliant game it was <laughs> I just remember them always trying to chip me I think Gigi was trying to chip me and I think Becker David Becker would try to chip me as well so it was a brilliant game I mean that they'd day- the midfield that day was David Beckham, Paul Scholes, Roy Keane and Giggs. I think when I spoke to uh, Mark Sullivan when I came down here, I was, I was actually trying to get, a, get it off MUTV. I eventually got it. And I think Mark says, well, that's the best midfield that Man United have ever had. It's an argument for Man United fans to have. But I remember Roy Keane just running the whole game. He was incredible that day. I think that was one of those periods where watching the documentary where he was going away to Italy and close season and doing a fitness programme and diet and everything and coming back. He was just a changed character from, from what he was ten years previous. And he was amazing that day. He was he was incredible getting the ball off. Raymond, Van der and goal and the next minute he was having a shot. He was fabulous that day. he really was.
1: He was the only one who scored, wasn't he? He got, got two that day. And I think you you stopped him scoring a hat trick I think later on as well with a, with one of your many saves at that game. I mean I felt as a fan, sort of the way that the, the team had ended the previous season so strong, and then signing like like Sir Peter Duffield who was a proven goal scorer at the level, I felt that we we'd probably challenge maybe naively really as a Looking back, and, and we scored in the first minute at Chesterfield on the opening day, and singing we're top of the league, and all that. I and mean, then, of course, we lose 4 1, and Peter <laughs> one sent off, and then he, I think he has a career ending injury a few games later. Was that misplaced optimism from me, or did you think, as a player signing, that oh, we've ended the previous season strong and you know we, we could go all right here? And, and also, second to that, do you think that team should have done better? You know, did it underachieve? I think it did, yeah. I, I, I would I would say so. Some good players there.
2: I think Peter Duffy was one of the best finishers, and I've had some good players score past me. and he, he was an incredible finisher in training he, he was really good just found the corners all the time just happened to be in the right place he, he's a very good very good finisher and like I said earlier I always thought Terry put teams together I think he, he identified players with, you know Darren Edmondson and, and Graham Potter and Gary Obson came in and starting to see good players getting together and maybe it was a season too early maybe another season went together and adding a few bits and pieces who knows but I was quite optimistic going into that, that first season first game against Chesterfield they were paying big money at the time they were the ones a big friend of mine was playing that are at the time, so I know they were paying big bucks. They were getting the top talent that they, they could afford for that division. And I certainly going on one nil up, you're thinking, Oh, here we go. But it didn't quite work out that day. I can't remember that, but I don't think we got many points over the first sort of five or six games. There. Then it becomes a bit of a hard slog, then, then it becomes so well, are we good enough? What's what's missing? What's this? And then so it was probably, yeah, it wasn't the start I don't think that we were we were expecting that season.
1: Because there were some quite big characters, weren't there around that time as well. I was at sort of Barry Conlin, Kevin Hume, Marks, the top quite big personalities on the pitch was that similar off the pitch as well
2: yeah it was I think probably that time the manager still wanted to move a few out I think there were too many in the dress room that he didn't want there that were having an influence on things and and he was trying to move them on and found it difficult to move them on obviously contracts or maybe they weren't good enough or whatever for whatever reason he wanted to move them on and they were still there and that possibly hindered the the progress of the team maybe there wasn't enough money for Terry to, to wheel and deal and bring more players in that he wanted who knows I don't know what was on behind the, the door in the, in the manager's office and with the chairman and things but I know Terry was always trying to push things and, and trying to, to get the better players that he thought would help the team but obviously things go on in boardrooms that you you don't know much about because
1: the team went on, on a really bad run didn't they and they were bottom of the league on the 17th of February lost 3-0 at home to Exeter and I, I remember thinking leaving mm. Boone Crescent thinking I don't think Terry will be manager on, on Monday morning and then Tuesday we won 1-0 at Rochdale you know, and then only two defeats in the last 16 I mean Perry was obviously quite good at galvanising the team wasn't he in, in situations like that where it seemed like you hit rock bottom but then somehow managed to get get the team going again Yeah I
2: remember that Exeter game and I, I remember there was a bit of a fan protest as well for whatever reason at forum dips conference dips results don't go your way I, nobody wants to be bottom of the league and it, it, it is hard to take but I always believe that we were better than where we were we were a better team but for whatever reason it just you know at times it just didn't go for us and you know excuses but nobody wants to be down there I don't think we deserve to be there and I don't think the players deserve to be there and certainly the manager didn't because there was a lot of hard work going on but it was, it was very frustrating, a very, very frustrating time.
1: And that season, you, you won player of the year as well. Often if a keeper's winning player of the year, it might be that the, the team are not doing so well at the other end of the pitch. But do personal accolades mean much to you? Do you, do you still have those trophies? Because you won a couple of them at York, didn't you?
2: Oh, absolutely, they do. Funnily enough, we just moved into this property and... It was a bit smaller, so we had a property in Belfast, which we'd stored a load of memorabilia and stuff there, and we brought them all over to here. We sold that place and brought them all here. So they're still sort of sitting around rooms and boxes and things, and my wife's, Joanne, she's like what are you doing with this stuff? What are you, what are you doing? I said, well, you've got to keep it. You can't, you can't be disrespectful to these clubs. i still got my odds Club Man of the Year, Player of the Year where it was in 1991. Still got that and still got, yeah, still got a lot of stuff. Got my shirts downstairs, my New York City shirts from back in the day. So um, I keep all that stuff much to my, my wife's dismay. I mean, 2001,
1: 2002 season, you know, not too dissimilar in terms of sort of inconsistency, but I remember there was one game that, that season that you played against Luton Town at, at home and the double penalty save from Stephen Howard and I think he was fighting over the ball one yeah. of his own teammates. Do, do you remember that game?
2: We lost that game, I think did we do one? I remember the penalty and saving the penalty and then it was retaken. And then I watched what was going on, and then they were fighting him and another player were fighting over the ball. I was just stood and watched it and I spoke to Steve. Actually, I met Stevie a few years ago in Hong Kong. And I said, Do you remember that? I says, Yeah, he says, Yeah. He says, I got a right bollocking after that. I went, What, I said, what was going on? He says, Well, I wanted to, I wanted to take it, I wanted to score. I said, But I knew what you were going to do. I said, You were that? Heavy. I said, You were just I'm like, oh, doing it, and you put the ball in. I said, You're just going to smash it straight down the middle. I mean, a blind man of Galvan Horse could see this. And I, I just stood still and I, I saved it again. And I think from that, Christian Fox had a chance. And the keeper made a say I think we got a corner from it, just because it rebounded off my legs, and we broke away, and nearly scored. Yeah, and I, remember I spoke to Steve, and I went, "Yeah, I got a red right again after for that." He says, "Oh, the manager was, wasn't happy." I think I am not even sure whether he got fined or something. I can't remember. But he,
1: I think, I think it was yeah. joking here, wasn't it? Who did it who the manager was the it? manager, was, was the power manager. Power. yeah, because he, he did a bit of an article in the paper about how he wouldn't be taking penalties again. But I mean, your form around that period, you know, again, incredible, and I think every York City fan, you know, sees you as one of the best goalkeepers we've ever had and was it frustrating to not quite get back in international setup certainly to play games again was that frustrating because I think that was always something I remember around the time you were in the press sort of saying that you wanted to do and you wanted to add to your caps I know like people like Roy Carroll who was a really good Goalkeeper was playing around that time as well, wasn't he? But was that because of the the level you were playing at? Do you think was there a bit of snobbery there?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, listen, I would I never ever retired. I got I got retired from Northern Ireland. I don't know who it was with Laurie Sanchez or something that said, "Laurie, never play for Northern Ireland again." Never spoke to me about it. But um, anyway, I just said it, which is fine. But I knew playing League Two that those chances would be very minimal, and it would only be a case of if somebody drops out, if there's an injury, if there's a crisis, I'd get called up. So I knew it was it would be slim, but you still think oh I can still do it I can still I can still play but of course there's football there's nobody there I think Mike Taylor was a, was ahead of me by then and like I say I, I was just enjoying my time I was enjoying football again I was enjoying my life my daughter was born we were living in York it was just a great time team was uh, I loved the teammates okay for four wasn't exactly great but just really really enjoyed being part of that team and that city how things were going for me personally really enjoyed that period of my life. So Northern Ireland I think I ended up getting called up to go to Estonia or somewhere like that where it was, but knew it wasn't going to play. But always want to play, you always want to play for your country. And if you got that phone call, you've got to take. I know players that they'll, they'll get a phone call, they'll go, Who hey, is it? Armenia. I'm not going to that. No, oh, I'm injured, you know, things like that. But never do that. Never. I always wanted to play. If I got the chance to play, I couldn't care less where it was, I- I'm going. Even if they have to sit on the bench, there's just still that chance where you can get on the pitch and you can get on the pitch and play and get cap. And just sat over there actually just beside the television. So they're great things to have, they're they're, they're brilliant. I'd love to have got more but 25 I'll I'll take 25 caps many people say that that's probably about 24 too many but
1: I hope I mean when I interviewed Russ Howard I was really sort of surprised at how sort of close you two were as a a sort of pairing now there's that kind of goalkeepers union isn't it but ultimately you're kind of all sort of fighting over one shirt aren't you and it sounds like from your career that Tim Flowers was a bit of an inspiration and and John Fallon as well and you and Russ were obviously got a sort of blossoming friendship off the pitch he he mentioned that that kind of there was no goalkeeper Keeping coach around that time and and you two would kind of almost do your training drills together was that where you kind of got the bug for for coaching
2: yeah I, even even way back at my time at Hull, we with no goalkeeping coach so i was like i said earlier watching things buying books i think the first book i bought probably out here actually is peter shilton's goalkeeping book so it was whenever he was at derby county had done all these exercises so half of a daft like you know you're kicking the ball off a a roller in the corner of a field and stuff but that's what we were doing you know we were no YouTube there was no you were getting videos or you were seeing if there was something somewhere where you get your hands on a book or watch somebody do something or whatever you, you were just you were going out to source goalkeeping and how you could make yourself better and like I said there was, back then there was no goalkeeping coach Rod Arnold would come in every so often whenever the club could afford to give him 50 quid or whatever it was a, a session and he was part of Bob Wilson's goalkeeping school at that time. So. Doing stuff first, so he's come back and tell us stuff, shown us stuff, and then we would develop that and move on. And so it all started probably back then. But certainly working at Blackburn was a big change for me when it came to training and training intensity. I mean, the goalkeepers there at the time, like I said, were Tim Flowers, John File, and Alan Kelly, amazing goalkeeper as well. So working with those three over that period really made me think that I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And, and then I was, I was getting into my 30s then and I was probably heading towards the end of my career. But when you see somebody like Russ come along, who's clearly very, very talented and he's been in the England setup. To be at a club like York and still be selected for England youth, you've got to have some sort of talent. So I was hopefully, I was trying to give him a little bit of my knowledge and my experiences and I still needed to do it for myself because I was, I was playing and I wanted to s- still be the best that I could be. But hopefully whatever I did or said or, or, or tried, to, I, I tried to help him become better. I'd like to think I did. Whether I did or not, I don't know, but he was certainly a very talented goalkeeper and probably with a little bit of luck would have went on to have a, a better career than what he uh, what he did get in the end.
1: Moving on to the next season, 2002, 3 is where it started to unravel a little bit for York City and John Batchelor was in charge and uh, for all started with some sort of very strange signings I was sort of thinking about your own career that faced people like Brian Roy Chris Sutton Martin Darling in training and now you had Rogerio firing, firing shots at you, the Brazilian striker what, what was your impressions around what was happening around that time and I mean you'd obviously been through the situation with Hull with the financial issues how did it compare to what was happening at York And
2: it was really disappointing like I say if that period if that didn't happen I would have quite happy stayed there until I had to hang my gloves up I really enjoyed it I really loved Bootham Crescent. York the fans. That was me. I was I was happy, and that page It was just a bit of a circus. You know, there was always something going on. You weren't sure. There was badge thing and all that. I remember the I remember John Batchelor coming to me and saying, "I've got an idea." I went, "Okay." we were getting on a bus, we were going somewhere, going away game somewhere, got an idea. I was like, okay, about your name? I went, about my name? Yeah, I think we could do something with your name and brand it. I went, nah, John, you're okay. And I just got on the bus and I sat down I thought, what is going on here? You know, it's a football club and it was just a lot of this trying to maximise, I don't know, making money, whether it was for himself or the club. I had no idea, but it just, it was really sad when you weren't getting paid the PFA were coming in and paying your wages and that really like I said I just, my daughter was just born again we were sort of back to the scenario of where we were at home my first period at home where some good play, really good players small squad all just working together no big egos nobody on huge money or anything and it was just falling apart again it was, it was just really sad because I think keeping it all together and still being run the way it was run previously as much as the fans didn't like Douglas at that period you know and Mr Craig had decided to alright I'll give you your opportunity who do you want to take the club and John Baxter ended up coming in but it was I don't know I spoke to a lot of fans from that period and they all couldn't believe what was happening as well so really disappointing point because I really thought that the club keep that squad together give another couple of years but add a few more players I think we could have really I think we could have got promotion. Well, that was it. That was the
1: ironic thing, wasn't it? That I think, you know, Terry had, had sort of struggled for a number of years. So we, we'd come similar positions, I think sort of 17th, 18th in the league or whatever. And, but this season on the pitch was actually going quite well, wasn't it? I think mm-hmm. you're near the playoff spots, I think when, when you moved on. I mean, and did, did you move to Hull almost forced really? Because I've interviewed some players from around that time, like Lee Bullock and, and John Parkin. And I think the difference for them was that they were, they were living at home. So maybe it didn't matter too much to them in terms of a financial situation, but you would imagine that your, your, stage of your career, you had a mortgage, like you said, you had a young family, and and I think you, am I right in saying that you, you could just, if you weren't paid, you could just sort of move on and give a week's notice? Is that right?
2: I think if you weren't getting paid for a period of time, yes, you, I think that's what you could. You, know, you were, they were basically in breach of contract, and that's not something I really wanted to do. I took a bit of bad advice during that period when when Paul City came in and said that they wanted to take me. I'll be honest, I didn't really want to go. I wanted to stay. But if you weren't getting paid, I, I, you can't sit around and think, well, when's my next wage packet going to come? Comes a point. I would have been okay for a few months, you know. But after that, you're going to struggle. And, and I thought, well, okay, well, here's an offer here of a two-year contract. going to get paid. at a club on the way up. And they've got a new stadium and Peter Taylor was manager. So they were, they were trying to push things a little bit. So I thought, well, it was an opportunity like I said I didn't really want to go but I couldn't hang around York was I going to get paid? was I not going to get played? Was, was the club going to fold was it not going to be a club and you know, so it was all that going on it was, just, it was just a big circus and I think in the end I, I decided I'm going to go to Hull
1: Yeah and, you, and you'd played there before hadn't you as well and had a good association with their supporters as well so which I imagine might have influenced you you know it was ironic wasn't it because the next game was Hull City against York City and you came out I think to warm up and I think you got a, a bad reception off the York supporters was that disappointing or did you saw of think well the fans don't really know what's going on behind the scenes
2: it was a little bit of disappointment but i could see i understood how they how they felt their club and they could see players just leaving and so i could see i felt for, for the supporters as well i didn't even know what was going on behind the scenes i just remember us on one friday sitting in the office sitting upstairs in one of the rooms and we were told that we have to stay here until we get clarification from the pfa or whoever it was about what was going to happen. And we were thinking, two o'clock in the afternoon, by three o'clock, we'll all be going home because we've got a game the next day. And we were there to half five, it was half six, and we're thinking, this is not can't really happen. I met Chris Brass had his, one of his kids with him, and he just got up and went. I-, I can't sit here any longer. I've got to go. And this was about half past four, and we were still sat there, and until somebody and said, "Right, you can go home." It was all this we didn't know half the stuff was going on, and I think that's a good thing Terry did was not tell the players what was going on, give them enough, feed them enough, but don't tell them everything that was going on because they would lose their heads. And I assume I don't have no idea. I've not spoke to him about it since. But as regards to the reception, a bit disappointing, but I can understand. I completely understood how they how they felt because a year later it was sort of an all unraveled then,
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and by that point, I think you'd only sort of stayed at Hull City here, And I wondered why that didn't quite work out because I think Paul Musselwhite was the number one, wasn't he, around then? Around
2: yeah, time. and he was a good goalkeeper, I mean, I, I spoke to him, he's at Scunthorpe, so he ran me about, you know, a goalkeeping issue a few months back. So, you know, we, we keep touch. There was no animosity between me or any of the players at Hull at that time. It just never felt right. It was a different club, completely different club. We were trained at Booth Park, obviously playing at the KC Stadium. K. come, whatever it's called. Now, I never felt comfortable, never felt settled again. Maybe it was a case of, well, actually, I don't think the manager signed me. I think it was uh, the chairman. I wasn't the first choice for the manager. I think he wanted Simon Royce. And then I think he wanted uh, another goalkeeper, which he didn't get. And then I think it was a case of, well, he's available. We can get him for nothing. Right, OK, well, he wants to come. Let's do it. So there was a few factors in there, a few variables around that, that, that time. And it just never, it just never settled. Myself and the manager had words a couple of times. I wasn't one of his signing. I think all that coming together. With Peter Tiller, I thought he was a great coach. I thought some of his sessions, a bit similar to Brian Kidd in many ways. His sessions, training was really, really good. I really enjoyed training. Um, but during games, he was asking me to do stuff that were just alien to me. You know, starting positions and what you hear. And it's was like, well, you just wouldn't be there. But he wanted me to be. So you're doing things that you normally wouldn't do just to stay on the team and you think i just never it was just never just our fault quite right you know I could almost see after a few months that this isn't going to work out and I'll be moving on and I just like I say I was getting to that, that period of your career where I'd come from York which I really enjoyed and I played loads of games and then you get into well, I'm playing a few more games with them in the team not in the team I thought I, I, I just want to go and play games again I just have got about five years left in my career at that maximum I just want to get as many games in before I hang the gloves up and, and look for something else you know but I was disappointed going back to Hull I'd love it to have worked out didn't for, for many reasons I, I assume but um, and then I went on loan to, to a few different places I went to Sheffield United, went to Grimsby and I managed on the same day to get promoted and relegated you know so I got relegated from Grimsby at Tranmere the same day as Hull got promoted back up into that division so it was um,
1: Mm, strange one. Unusual uh, record there. You <laughs> went on to play for, for Macclesfield and Bury, didn't you, before you became a goalkeeping coach and, and you're now at Manchester United. How, how does it compare coaching to playing? Is it a completely different? A lot of players say it's very difficult to replace that feeling of playing and that, that kind of euphoria you get. Is is that something that you found or is coaching something that you really, really enjoy?
2: Coaching's always something I really enjoyed. I always see it as a challenge. How can you push things a little bit? How can you... Because I was always trying to... Things myself and and experimenting with things training methods and, and drills and practices. I still try and do the same and some work, some don't. But I had no idea what I was going to do. I was at Macclesfield in the second year at Macclesfield, and the PFA came in. They started a new course, a media course at Stafford University, and they were trying to get players to to join us, which is great for to go into clubs like Macclesfield and try and get these types of players. Who so we're not going to earn a lot, an awful lot of money I need to have a career and I'm, I'm trying to get them to understand that you need to do have another career after football finishes so they were pushing this and it wasn't for me the media I, I, I never liked doing interviews and stuff or podcasts or Zoom meetings and things <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: but,
2: <taken>. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was never very good at it I always after after interviews and stuff I always hadn't said that I, I never felt comfortable doing it. I thought well I'll go and be a PE teacher I'll go and try that but I needed to do a degree I'm not an academic by any that and I thought, well, well, so they said, um well, we do this through Manchester Met. We we'll do this sports science degree. Would you like to do that? I thought, well, all right. So I went to the Open Day anyway. So, long story short, I did a I finished, did a degree through the through the PFA, which was brilliant and that opened doors for me to go into the coaching and then I, I got an opportunity I, I'd already done my A licence in Northern Ireland back when I was the summer when I joined Hull because I actually went back late for pre-season training which didn't get down too well I don't think <laughs> done my A licence then so I was I was then started doing my badges and, and you, you start to meet people and then you start to understand networking and this type of thing and then I, I just uh, I called Dave Kelly who was at Derby and said look was there anything going at the derby? He says actually, there's an academy goalkeeper job going at Derby. You know, I'll speak to Billy. I got the job anyway at the end of it, and this was my chance. Said, okay, so I was still doing my degree, and I thought, well, if I want to do coaching, this is my chance. And I was working under nines up to under eighteen teams and the reserves at times as well. It was a big job, and it was there was a lot of hours, and there was a lot of different training going on. I was you basically worked seven days a week, and you were working from eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night and beyond it was a chance for me to then realise okay if this is what coaching's about this is it if I, if I get through this that'll tell me whether I'm going to be a coach or I'm going to have to go and do something else and I really enjoyed it I really really enjoyed that unfortunately Billy got sacked myself and Pete Williams the first team goalkeeping coach were actually in Nice at the time we were watching Hugo Lloris and he sent all the coaches it was a free weekend he sent all the coaches to different to watch these targets and, and write reports and, and funny enough he got sacked that weekend but um so we were watching Hugo Lloris whenever Pete got the phone call and, and then that was it. So I ended up taking the first team right down to the under nines. So that was one hell of a job and I never saw my wife. But it was that was my first year of coaching, I'm finishing football, going into coaching. So I never really had a chance to sit back and contemplate football and my career and reflect on things. It was like, this is it, you're bang, go into this. Really enjoyed it, made lots of mistakes as, as you do in coaching. I won't do that session again. I'll do this. And and it was it was great to work things out and, and try things. And that was a really good grounding for me to basically say, do you want to coach? Because this is what it's going to be like. And if you can get through this, which I did, then I, I, that was it. I just wanted to go further down that how road. Did, how coaching. did you end
1: up at Manchester United?
2: I'd moved on. I'd, I'd, I got sacked from uh, Derby because they got relegated. So um, I'd, I lost my job there. And then I went to Cheltenham with uh, Martin Allen, which was interesting then um, left I got an academy coaching job at Sunderland and then the job came up it was just advertised at Manchester United so I applied and managed to get the job
1: you send them a video of a pre-season friendly to say <laughs> this, is, this is what I can
2: do <laughs> I was probably taken aback a little bit when Eric Steele called me and said "Look, well, you've i going, going to offer you the job so I was, I was a bit overwhelmed I have to say a bit overwhelmed so. but fantastic club incredible I mean, I, what, a, what an opportunity to work talent that we work with it's, it's a great chance
1: well I mean you work with like Dean Henderson haven't you who's sort of come up through the ranks and I read a, another interesting quote that you'd said that you kind of like players to have 100 career appearances before they reach the age of 21 regardless of the level is that because of your sort of own experience of sort of coming through at Ards and moving across the Hull and, and the sort of grounding that gave you for your career
2: yeah I suppose it is. Is, yeah, um, you, you've got to pass on a bit of that craft knowledge. I always try and get, and I think the club of they've, they've bought into it a little bit more, trying to get Les Parry calls it the, the goalkeeping method, <laughs> which it isn't, but it, it's just basically I'd like to get the young goalkeepers out playing men's football as soon as possible, so they get the, they do all the development, and then what comes with the academy system, then there's there's a little bit more development. And like, well, when do they actually get to men's football? So I've seen cases where these kids do all this work from nine years of age through to 22, and then they go and play men's football. And it's like, oh, wow, well, I didn't know it was like this, isn't it? So I always say, and, and I always said to, to Dino as he's growing up, I said, you know, go and play as many games as you can. Get, you know, when you're sort of 21, 22, if you've played 100 games, you're classed as an experienced pro then or, or, or going towards that. You're not a kid coming from the academy system because managers will look at that and go, well, what's he played? He's, he's played 23s football well, what's that? How do do I know he can play in the league? I've got my job's on the line. So the more games, certainly from, from the goalkeeping perspective the latest one we had out was Jacob Carney and he went out to he played for Brighouse he played for Stocksbridge Steels and he went over to Portadown in in Northern Ireland in January and he's played probably 80 or 90 games he's now signed a contract um, with with another with a really good club so hopefully he'll go on and have a really good career so I think it's important for me that players get tested at men's football just for the experiences that, that they're going to face as well so different changing rooms you know different training different ways of travel it's not going to be pampered like they do in front of crowds it's such a big thing Keanu O'Hara came through the system he was he was under 16 when I got to the club under 15 and he was another one was, he was a late mature and he, he had the Different things going on, and, and I was thinking, My goodness, is this was just, you know, free player and goal? And he went out to Trafford FC, I was Northwest Counties or something like that. And his first game was in the FA Cup against Altrin at Trafford's Ground, which is, I don't know if you've ever been, it's a tiny little ground, like a North Ferriby, you know. And there was 2,000 mm-hmm. people there, and they were powering him, and they're all hanging over the wall. And he's getting, he's like, What's going on here? I've never had all this before. And he played really well, and they, they won the game, and they beat Altrin in the Cup, so it was a big thing for him. And he went on to play 26 games. And that was the change in him. He just grew up mentally, physically grew up. He played better. I just feel that it's not a pathway for everybody, don't get me wrong, but it's certainly, I feel that players need to go out and play men's football. And that's probably, maybe because of my experiences, but I certainly see that it's worked with with other goalkeepers. And it's certainly the pathway that's worked for to help them develop, to go and have careers. And, and hopefully this next batch of, of goalkeepers coming through will do something similar
1: Dean Henderson I mean he's played literally National League North which is what the level that you are in now League 2 League 1 Championship Premier League and international football does that give you a, a massive buzz seeing him get into the first team knowing that you've been part of that development part of that journey Oh,
2: absolutely that's our job we're there to help them be the best that they can be and if we can help them go and have a career fantastic if they go and have a career at Manchester United that's every box ticked but that's all we can do is, is help them and guide them and hopefully we can push them and, and make them the best that they can be they've obviously got to have the talent they've got to have the drive they've got to do all the work they've got to listen to you. they've got to take the hits they do all the work we just try and guide them in, in the right direction and Dean has listened we've had a few uh, ups and downs with him but he's such a driven kid talented boy he, I'm really pleased that he's got his opportunity because that's all he ever wanted to do when he signed at 14 I just want to play in the first team I just, want to, I just want to play there. I just want to be over there. I just want to play there. I'm going, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to play for England. You know, at 14, as a kid to say that, that was it. Self-confidence. He just, he, well, that's, that's it. He's a goal setter and he's he's achieving his goal. So well done to him.
1: And just a couple of questions to finish off. Best player that you've ever faced as a goalkeeper?
2: I have to say, I thought Alan Shearrow's magnificent player. Scored past me, of course. You know, a player, and he's so under the radar. with Damien Duff when, when we were at Blackburn Rovers. I thought he was—he just, just looked knackered all the time, but he had so much talent and skill and speed, and he was just a really good guy as well, you know. And I always thought he was a special player. Obviously, Fago, but when you play against international players, you only play for that one game. You don't play for many, mm-hmm. but Rui Costa and people like that. There was. Uh, They're so nice. You could go. I could say Jurgen Klinsmann, but then he missed a penalty. So yeah,
1: missed penalty. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then just the final question: If if there was any game that you could ever go back to in your in your career, you know, you could go in a time machine. We, What game would it be, and why?
2: There was a game my home debut against Lithuania drew, and I let a free kick in to my left side, and I should have saved it. I might have won the game, but I'd like to go back to that game. And certainly, your first home game for your country, you wanted to go better, you know, you you wanted to get the win. You want. I didn't have a lot to do that game, but what I did, I didn't do particularly well. And I'd like to go and change that. That would be one game that I would would change. There are many games like that, by the way, Dan. There are many games like that, but that's certainly one that just was there anything that
1: you'd like to relive that? that you think oh, I wish I could go back and experience that all again because it went so well. Would that, would that be the Portugal away game? I guess.
2: Oh, the Portugal, the Portugal game and the Republic of Ireland game at Lansdowne Road. They were fantastic games. They were standout games for me. Brilliant atmosphere and when you play well, perform well, and I, I loved. After the, the Republic of Ireland game We went for a beer That's when you could go for a beer After games and stuff um, Not protein shakes and stuff You went for a beer So I don't know if, you're, if you remember Lansdowne Road There was a little house In the corner of the stadium It was like a player's lounge or It was like a lounge So we went in there And all along the bar and There must have been 50 pints of Guinness Nearly topped up but not quite And you just went Can I have a Guinness? And they topped it up And gave it to you And it was after the game That ex- little experience Having a beautiful pint of Guinness Can I go back and relive that place, <laughs>
1: I'll come with you, I think. Um, Alan, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to speak to you. I mean, uh, to say you said you don't like doing podcasts, I, I think it's been a, a terrific listen to you and, and and I really appreciate you giving up your time and giving us your insight into your career. It's been uh, fascinating and I hope you've enjoyed sort of looking back on your memories, certainly of your time at York City as well.
2: I've enjoyed it, Dan, and for what memories I can remember these days. I mean, I'm, I'm in the 50s now, so the, the grey matter is not what it used to be, but it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me.
1: So that's the end of episode two there, Alan Fettis, or Super Alan Fettis as he's known So supporters of York City. Really delighted to finally speak to Alan. He, he's one I've been chasing for a few series now and, yeah, luckily I managed to get a contact who worked with him at Manchester United. And for someone who says on the interview he didn't particularly like podcasts, I thought that was fantastic and his stories were just incredible and his honesty about his career and, and the kind of ups and downs and an international career as well. It was It was a pleasure to speak to Alan. It was also a pleasure to get Paul Bowser to sponsor an episode of this series. His new book, and Crescent, A Second Home, 1960-1993, to now it goes without saying it's an absolute must for York City supporters, full of loads of interesting facts and figures and incredible images from, from that time period. And of course thanks again for listening downloading as ever polite reminder we are a charity and if, if you're able to spare any money uh, and you enjoy the podcast then justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio is the place to go we appreciate any donation that, that's made to the charity and also finally just thank you to anyone who came along to the live richard Brody event it was an incredible night and i think everyone who went was really happy with with how it went and the chance to speak to richard it was really positive and and people have already been on to me asking about you know doing future live events obviously it's, it's a bit like the podcast really i take each sort of series or event as as it comes and and if people have a bit of an appetite for it then we'll we'll do our best to to put it on so uh, yeah thanks for that and uh, next week we've got Michael Coulson who uh, is another interview I'm really happy with speaks very openly about his time at Booth and Crescent as well as his career elsewhere as well some interesting stories from his time with Barnsley for instance where uh, you know he got to the FA Cup semi final so yeah hopefully you'll join us again next week for that and uh, until then thanks very much.